0: Computer, initialize HollowSuite. HollowSuite Media. listeners and welcome to open channel a star trek community podcast i'm christopher d littlefield your host and i have kavora with me today she is the co-host of ladies trek library star pod log and star pod trek kavora how are you today
1: i'm great chris ready to go
0: yeah uh you came on open channel for the first time during lower decks and now it's your second time here with us so welcome back
1: Yes, thank you. Great to be back.
0: And it's really good to have you on today. Thanks for joining me. Well, today we're reading and discussing your comments on Sanctuary, the eighth episode of Disco Season 3. Of course, this show, Open Channel, is dedicated to facilitating the fan conversation about every single brand new Trek episode as it drops and other things we decide to talk about. To join the conversation on Facebook, type the Nexus into the search field and join Sweet Media's listeners group. And you can follow us on Twitter at Open Channel Trek. I'll post a conversation thread when each new episode drops, and you can leave your comments, questions, concerns, and theories, and we'll read them and talk about them. Keep in mind that comments may be edited for time. There were a lot of long comments this week, so I'm going to cut some of them down. But I do love your feedback, and we got a lot of nice conversation going this week. So thanks for that. You ready to go, Kvora?
1: Yeah, let's get going. Let's go. So... We have our first comment from Paloma Bennett. I liked how Adira came out as gender non-binary. Also, that their gender identity is not linked to any to being a symbiont host. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, actually, and, and I was wondering if they were ever going to, to bring that out because we know that the, the actor that plays Adira is non-binary. And since they never mentioned it before, I was thinking the character... Adira has always been referred to as she but now we know what happened uh they were just uncomfortable saying it before and finally said it to Stamets
0: right yeah and the uh they had also mentioned that when blue first started filming season 3 they weren't totally out uh themselves so they wanted the journey of Adira of Adira to to mirror that of the actor which i think is very cool it is and i like that it isn't a metaphor it isn't something we have to read into with being a host or being a trill that it's just actual 100 percent authentic representation that's very meaningful
1: because it was never said by the other trills that they you know they were always either male or female so so yeah so it would have been different if it if they had said it was because of, of being a symbiont host
0: right yeah uh thanks paloma and the artist known as Kellen Gooding says I was so happy with the way they handled Adira's coming out, truly perfect and really relatable solidarity between them and their new gay parents. Yes, Kellen. <laughs> I know it's very relatable especially to all of our non-binary friends and listeners and I it makes me so happy to to see this to see this handled this way.
1: The um yeah yeah get the gay parents the w- the way that um Stamets and colber were so open to the idea and they and they like adira so that that was all cool uh, um another thing i think that's interesting i mean it seems like star trek I, I mean on earth in the 23rd and 24th centuries a non-binary person probably would have been accepted and right. now on the in the 32nd century adira w- was on earth and I don't think it was accepted there, or else she would have already said it. So it's interesting how Earth has changed in this time.
0: I don't know that it's not that they wouldn't have been accepted. I just think it was a really personal discovery for Adira. And no matter what century it is, that's always something to kind of discover about yourself and kind of come to terms with and accept, you know? I don't necessarily think that it was because... It wasn't something accepted on Earth. I think it's just a personal journey, a very personal journey.
1: Okay, it could have been, even though the like Stamets and Colber were were out and and everyone knew it and no one made an issue of it. But yeah, yeah, it could be. It, I mean, it is a very personal thing, and some people are have their have their things that they want to tell people and other things that they don't. Yes, it's completely understandable.
0: Yeah, I mean. And it wasn't a big deal to Culber and Stamets either. Stamets actually seemed very honored that Adira chose to share that with him, you know?
1: Yeah, I love that they have that that friendship going on. And and they're making it work. They work together as well, so that's good. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I think they're really good for each other.
1: So our next comment is from Liam Smart. I enjoyed it. An episode to get the story moving along... I bet it's the discovery inside that nebula, and there better be a damn good reason for it being there. <laughs> okay, yes. So that would be cool.
0: I've heard this before.
1: Yeah, so many theories about the nebula. And yeah, when they mentioned it, I thought they would just go ahead and jump there, but no, nah, they had other things they had to do this time.
0: Yeah, it's another mystery. Brandy Chicola also thought this might be a possibility that it's discovery inside the nebula. Which is interesting. I don't know how that would work.
1: Yeah, like another another version and they run into themselves. Yeah, it it could be it could be very interesting.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Karen Hasha says, the Federation apparently still hasn't managed to let go of the Prime Directive. Maybe they could learn something from the Navarre. To not have anything like the Prime Directive at all opens the door to exploitation. It could do with some amendments though. I think my main problem is that it's always used as a plot device and they didn't do that here. So once again, well done, Disco. That's a really interesting observation and there was a big conversation about this in the thread. Yeah, they didn't use it as a plot device. It wasn't like the, oh, can't do it, prime directive. So I like how they, I do like how they handled that too, Karen.
1: The the writers, I mean, going back, well, starting with Next Generation and all the other Star Trek shows, they have always said that, that it's hard to write with the prime directive it, it It was always a hindrance to the writers and, and and i I mean, I like having the prime directive. I like that that the federation has that ideal, mm-hmm. but yeah, sometimes it gets in the way of the story and so I mean yeah, yeah i I kind of agree that it that they needed to to do what they needed to do here, yeah,
0: and also just because a civilization has warp capacity doesn't mean that they've evolved enough to make you know. I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting conversation.
1: Well, well, yes. Yeah, so true. Yeah. It, you know, warp drive doesn't necessarily mean that they have the mental sociological maturity. Right. Or, or they could have the maturity and not have developed warp drive yet. Yes.
0: Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: So next we have Rob Vaughn on Twitter. Another great episode in a stellar season. A good balance of action and character development. A theory references to the mirror universe and a federation distress call in a strange nebula causing the burn, could this be starship trying to get back or get out of the mirror universe? Hmm. Ah okay, another good theory
0: it is I hadn't thought about that either, yeah, I mean it could be so many things
1: because Giorgio I mean because we have her, and so there there still could be something tying us back to the mirror universe going on with Giorgio too,
0: right yeah i mean there's something in the memory that is back to the empire so we're just not sure what it is yet and rebecca skipper on twitter says i loved the reconciliation scene at the end between book and his brother and how Culber dealt with Giorgio. i'm even more curious about the burn now i loved the scenes with the crew particularly the ones between stamets Culber, and adira I didn't care for the fight scenes because I can't see the action sequences. So, yeah, there's a vision uh, issue with Rebecca there. So I I, I got to say, I didn't think the fight scenes were that awesome in this episode, Rebecca. So I don't think you missed too much.
1: <laughs> right. And then because, I mean, I'm really more for the, for the dialogue anyway, but I know they have to have their, their action on these shows.
0: Yeah. I don't know. But yeah,
1: the... The, the scenes with um, Stamets, Culber, and Adira, I mean, yes, they they were great. Mm-hmm. And and Booker and his brother, um, I, I like that idea, too, even though it's it's kind of been done before, the idea of two brothers that, that haven't seen each other in a while, they don't get along, but then they have this um, adventure together on the episode, and then they get along. Okay, <laughs> <Morph>. well. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but it was good, though. His brother was a good character, though.
0: I liked him, and he's very, very (laughs) good-looking. Oh, he is, yes. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So now, Matthew Mevis says, Adira's pronoun reveal. It's a fair label that I'm the total white bread, square, cishet, whatever, but I've found pronouns to be the best, easiest gateway for me to understand it all. That said, I've had friends of mine tell me that while it's the easiest for me, it's been the hardest part for them. I felt that moment where Adira winced at being called she. It played on screen as visibly painful to them. I love Stamets and Adira's relationship. I'm trying to decide if Stamets is being the friend I had or the friend I wish I'd had to Adira and love to see that explored.
0: Nice, Matthew. I enjoy that you call yourself out for being the white bread square cishet whatever. <laughs> and for being so open to understanding different points of view and talking about them. I I think that that's admirable and we need more of that.
1: Yes. I mean I mean it I like how th- this reaches out to people and you can be, you know, all different types of people to to enjoy this. And so and, and that's what Star Trek is. Most of the fans are understanding. I know there's some division these days, but come on. It, it's Star Trek. It's, it's about accepting people.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, it's true. Pronouns for some are easy to comprehend and for other people less so. So the fact that you can feel how much it just really was wrong to Adira to be called she and her. Uh, I think says a lot
1: and i I still might say it wrong sometimes, but I don't mean to. it's just something to to get used to and, and Adira was referred to as she of course, now we know she does or they don't want to but but mm-hmm. yeah, it is something that um that that is an adjustment in in today's culture, but it is something that that is there that we we do know it's there
0: absolutely it takes time and it takes learning about things that are different than you and your perception and how you see yourself. And so there's always a a learning curve in situations like that.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: All right. So Piotr Hubers says, this was yet again an awesome episode. I don't get the negativity Discovery gets. Piotr, I don't either. I love it. The catchphrase scene was really funny and I'm going to say hit it like Tilly did that sounds like fun (laughs) yeah Piotr I think it was a really good episode it was not my favorite episode apart from the Stamets Culber Giorgio Adira Tilly Saru stuff everything else I could have done without but I did like the episode it just I personally wouldn't say it's awesome but I love that other people do
1: um as far as the catchphrase remember on Lower Decks wasn't it Captain Ransom kind of went through that she said there was just a small scene like okay what should I say hit me oh Freeman. I think that's what uh-huh. she said Freeman that's right yes all yeah. oh, right Ransom's the me. first officer I got it <laughs> but, yeah, but this so, was
0: made before this was intended to come out before Lower Decks so right. Lower Decks was actually supposed to be that was supposed to be I think it would have been different if it would have came out afterwards
1: Okay. Yeah. Pairing them so pairing them like that. Interesting though. So so yeah, I, d- I do want um Saru to come up with something. That that would be yeah. neat.
0: That it, it didn't it work. Would. We haven't found it. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So they're still thinking about it. Yeah. So now we have Jay Deuce. I would have wished someone had messaged me telling how emotional this episode is. The moment that Adira had announced their pronouns, I had actually stopped watching for a few minutes because I couldn't stop crying. Because the moment they mentioned they hadn't told anyone, well, honestly, it made me remember last month when I told Chris as he was the third person to know outside of my best friend, and then I told the first person I met who was non-binary. Does anyone else think Owo and Detmer are a betting relationship? I actually thought... That book was human, but that's a little racist, racist, and I thought I was being beyond simple judgments based on appearance. Just as we need to stop referring to Adira as female, just as I need to stop referring to myself as male. The scene with the two gay dads scene was probably my favorite scene in this episode. Nice. All right, Jay.
0: Yeah, uh, so... Jay recently came out as non-binary, Kavora.
1: Ah, okay.
0: And we got to share that moment, uh, which was very kind of Jay to do that with us on this on this show. And I will say, as far as OO and Detmer, I want them to be together. I think they're a budding relationship. If they're not together, I think that they will be, or I hope that they will be. I talked to Emily Coots briefly at STLV, and she kind of was like, wouldn't that be cool? And I was like, "Yes." So I don't know. We'll have to see.
1: That would be interesting. It's it's like so. so there's there's all this stuff going on that I hadn't thought of. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah that that's um that's really interesting. See, see, the thing is, I just see that they have this really good working relationship. We know that they're friends. We know that they that they like each other as coworkers and and as friends. So right, yeah, you never know. Um,
0: I don't think they're there yet, but right. I'm- I'd love for them to get there.
1: Yeah. And and we don't see enough of them. We don't know like what's, you know, like, you know, maybe they are dating and we just haven't seen it. We just don't know.
0: Maybe. Yeah.
1: But Jay was right about this being an emotional episode in, in some parts. But, but of course yeah. it was personal for him.
0: For them. Mm-hmm. For them. Sorry. So Jay's pronouns are they, them too. Yeah. No, that's, that's something to learn.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. But, um, and that just shows how star trek how people can can relate to to these these star trek things this on a very personal level which is which has always been the case for me too i do get it
0: oh yeah i mean this is one of the reasons why discovery feels so personal to me because i relate to it in a way that i haven't been able to before because of the sincere representation and the honest storytelling around around people in the lgbtq plus community and My friend Janessa Kiharta says, I'm not sure yet if I like carry on as Saru's catchphrase. It fits his more relaxed style, but when I heard it, it immediately reminded me of this 1990s anime called Irresponsible Captain Tyler. In the anime, there's this scene where two departments on a starship start brawling with each other. The captain walks in, everyone snaps to attention, and someone tries to explain the mess. The captain looks at them all, shrugs, and says, carry on, which the crew then interprets as an order to keep brawling with each other. Well I'm sure Saru wouldn't let things go that far. Carry on will take some getting used to, I think. So I've never heard of this anime, have you?
1: No, I haven't.
0: Okay. Although Janessa, uh, he sure let it continue with Culber and Tyler in season two. So Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He he said that had to
1: play out, so He he did at that time, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, th- I think Janessa is right, though. Carry on is just—it um, doesn't really sound like an order, exactly. Yeah.
0: I think it was just a test drive. I don't think it's gonna stick. I hope not. I don't like it, but <laughs> it was funny.
1: Yes, even though, as Janessa said, it fits his relaxed style, but but he um, he, he does need something more authoritative. He is the captain.
0: Yeah, it, carry on's kind of stuffy to me. I don't know. And I think our next commenter is a first-time commenter.
1: First time.
0: Yeah, you can sing it too if you want. I've never heard the name before, so here we go.
1: Okay, Laura Redenbaugh. As usual, I love the character elements, so the bridge crew continuing to develop as individual personalities. The relationship between Hugh and Paul, the protectiveness and pride Stannis shows toward Tall and the saru Tilly mentorship. I think they're going to have to break the laws and send Giorgio back in time so the Section 31 show can happen, question mark, to save her.
0: So welcome to the conversation, Laura, and it's good to have you. I had not considered that they might have to send her back in time. That's another interesting postulation.
1: Because we, we know that the, there's still talks about, about having Georgiou in a spinoff about Section 31,
0: mm-hmm. and, and
1: yeah, how are they going to do it? We don't really know if it's going to be in, in this same century or, or what's going to happen if it's going to be Section 31 of some other time period.
0: Or several time periods.
1: Oh, it could be. Yeah, they could, they could time travel, right? Even though now mm-hmm. they've said that they, they've outlawed time travel, but we still don't know what, what could happen.
0: Well, section 31, you know, outlawing to section 31 doesn't mean anything.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, they do what they want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Especially if Giorgio's at the home.
1: Yeah, that that would be neat to see that. Oh, and that's another thing. I want to see what happens to Giorgio. That you know, that's one of these storylines that I was hoping they would um continue. Oh, uh, well, a little more this week. They talked about it some, but it looks like it's going to develop more next week when we saw the trailer.
0: Right. Mhm. Well, Karen Hasha says, Tilly proving herself as first officer. I wasn't happy about it last week, but she's changing my mind. I'm so glad, Karen. It just makes sense to me. It's the right thing. Uh, She goes on. I love her quiet confidence. Book's homecoming and reconciliation with his home world is beautiful. I loved the peaceful solution to their problem, and I loved Discovery spreading Federation values and making two converts, Book and Rin, in one day detmer being a badass pilot again it was so lovely seeing her regain confidence in her abilities and OO's constant support there's no way those two aren't together <laughs> <laughs> georgio stood down when colbert told her to she must be seriously freaked out fuck the emerald chain <laughs>
1: <Woo>! <laughs> all right, i agree
0: Karen. i agree with all of that <laughs> I don't like the emerald chain part of the story. I'm like, eh, come on, let's I mean it's fine, but I'm I'm ready to move on.
1: I'm not sure if we really need the emerald chain in the in this, but I yeah, know. Yeah, and, and um and Osira she, she seemed a little lackluster to me as a villain.
0: Same. I was just like meh
1: Yeah, like, you know. They could beat her. <laughs> they could take her on. Yeah, sure. Yeah, she's not.
0: She's she's not that threatening.
1: And and as far as Tilly being the first officer, I yeah, I was apprehensive. I mean, she she's okay. an ensign, and you know, and so to put her in that position, um, it she she did do a good job in this episode. So mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, she could prove herself. Yes, but it it, do, it does seem strange to over like. Like, she just jumped over Detmer and Owo and all the bridge crew.
0: But, but, but Saru and Tilly have been maintaining this mentorship relationship for like three seasons now. So, like, there, and Tilly has been proving herself time and time and time again. She's a genius. So, like, she is. It makes sense for me for her to step in that, even with her less experience. Like, it just makes sense to me. Sometimes. Some, it's not always all about experience. Sometimes it's all about ability and potential, and 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 how much the person has grown. You know.
1: Yeah, and, and the fact that she she is in the command training program, maybe the others mm-hmm. aren't. But but there was that. Now, now the thing is, in in previous uh, seasons, she worked very well with Stamets, and so it it looked more like Stamets was grooming her. But yeah, this season they've made her work more with Saru and. And, and I understand his confidence in her, and so, in that way, it makes sense.
0: Okay, nice. <laughs> you can disagree. It's fine. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to explain every, like, yeah, I mean, I understand all sides of it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Kirsty Keen says, so much good stuff to unpack, whether it was Adira, Giorgio, Book Going Home, The Emerald Chain, or Saru's quest for a catchphrase. Still not a fan of Tilly as number one, but I'm stuck with that.
0: And there we go. <laughs> oh, just what I said.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, we are stuck with it. Well, they did say acting number one, so we'll we'll see if if they keep her or if they bring someone else. But yeah, we're stuck with it now, and she she's doing it okay right now.
0: I, I loved how she stood up for Saru when Ren came in in the ready room, like... It felt to me, and of course, this episode was directed by Jonathan Frakes, so amazing. It yes. just felt like that scene was a very Picard and Riker moment. Like if somebody came in and sassed Picard that way, Riker would have chewed him out too.
1: He would have. Now, now the thing is, I wasn't sure if Ryn was really showing disrespect, or if he did he really know what he was supposed to do in that case. But but it it's okay that Tilly corrected him just to let him know okay that this is what you're supposed to do Mm -hmm. and maybe he didn't really know that but i'm not sure if he really meant disrespect
0: yeah i mean intent impact is greater than intention so if he meant it or not it was still disrespectful you know he's on their ship he's on saru's ship
1: he is and he's from a different world yes Mm
0: -hmm. and he's got a long way to go too but i'm i'm glad he's around i like him a lot And Joshua DeVries says, The acting in this episode was outstanding. Burnham seemed so much calmer and comfortable in her own skin now that she's not the first officer. I agree, Joshua. That's a really cool observation. I hadn't thought about that. Detmer got to show off what an incredible pilot she is, and I think that helped her to get outside her own head for a bit. Yeah. Tilly seems like she's fitting into her new role really well, And I loved her rapport with Saru, and Culber, Stamets, and Adira seem to be falling into a found family, and that just makes me indescribably happy. Me too, Joshua. I love this comment.
1: Yeah, so, of course, the the characters are um, smoothing out, I guess you could say, for... For this, this is what the eighth episode this season. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's time to get to get some more of this. And seeing Detmer, you know, get to fly book ship that that was cool too. I'm mean, getting to see her do something, you know, showing her piloting skills again, and to show that she's getting over her PTSD. Yes, yeah, I love Detmer. I mean, that was cool. Yeah,
0: me too. And she's using what she's really good at to get through it, which is which is awesome. That's a, what that's she a big message for. too. Yeah. Yes. Right. Okay. Well, let's move on to a few questions and concerns.
1: Okay. So we have Cairn Hui. This is an eh episode for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's not really good or bad. And I actually agree with that. Um, Yeah. There are some nice elements like Stamets scene with Adira and Hugh taking no BS from Georgiou. I also like Osiris subverting our expectations about female Orions, but why the heck is she still using photon torpedoes? They're pretty weak ones, too, if Book's ship took eight hits. I was getting Attack on the Death Star vibes during the fight. Execute, but not manifest. (laughs) Yay, Star Wars. Okay. Yeah,
0: thanks, Karen. (laughs) Interesting.
1: So, um... I mean, mean, yeah, when when I found out this was like, you know, like a Jonathan Frakes directed episode, I thought, great. But now I think it's it's not as good as I was expecting. Um, I guess there's only so much you can do with a weaker script. Um,
0: (laughs) I guess so. So, Yeah. Yeah. It was like the good stuff for me was really, really good. And the meh stuff was like really, really meh.
1: Yeah. Kind of like one way or the other. Yeah, good or meh. Not mm-hmm. not really bad, but but no, not, not exactly bad. the greatest.
0: Right. Yeah. Totally. And well, Baz Greenland says a mixed episode. Another another person who concurs. The weakest of season three for me, but still a good episode. That speaks to the high standard of this year. Loved Detmer in the full-on Star Wars attack run. Uh, Huber, which I guess is Hugh Colber, treating Giorgio and having more sass than her. Adira coming out to Stamets, very well executed. And Saru trying out catchphrases. Bit underwhelmed by Osira and Emerald Chain, though. Some lovely visuals, but the main story lacked punch. I agree, Baz.
1: And that's basically what we've been saying, yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: I like that there's a consensus on that, mostly. Yes.
1: And I do agree about like you know, like Colber and Georgiou their their banter, um, they're great. And I love how Colber can read her. He he, yeah. he knows she's scared to death, and and I love that he just that he knows that she can't hide it from him.
0: Right. I like seeing her a little more powerless.
1: <laughs> yeah, it it's like it's about time, and she really should be considering she's out of place. Yeah. And you know, it seems like they're the ones. Who, who should feel a lot better there than she does, and yet she's the one who always tries to overpower them. But so she's now fighting sometimes... it. R- right, right.
0: You know, she is trying to hold on, and she just doesn't have anything to hold on to right now.
1: She's a dethroned emperor, and she, yeah, she's used to having that power and doesn't know what to do without it.
0: Mm-hmm. Reminds, reminds you of something, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Daniel Huckfield. I felt that the A-plot this time was a little weak but still good. I have been thinking for a few episodes now that Discovery has made a U-turn on its original storytelling format. Season 3 feels like what I had imagined Strange New Worlds would be like. Strong episodic stories with an ongoing story alongside. As much as I am enjoying Season 3, it feels like a cop-out by the writers to abandon their original direction. One of the great things about the expansion of the STU is the ability to tell stories in different ways, and I feel this opportunity has been missed.
0: Okay, Daniel, this brings up a very interesting point that I had not considered at all. What do you think, Kavura?
1: I'm not sure I really feel that way about it because I think, you know, season one had the the, the storyline of the the war. And season two had the storyline about the Red Angels and the Seven Signals, the Red Angel, uh, singular. And in season three, it, it's still having the the storyline of, of the Burn, mostly finding out what the Burn is like. So I'm not sure that they've really abandoned anything about about the way they carry on for each season.
0: Yeah, I, I have to think about this comment, Daniel Huckfield, a little more because I... I, I can see what you mean, but it's because season three is so, the setting is so vastly different because we've jumped forward and nothing is as we knew it. It's hard for me to, it's hard for me to process that comment, but I like it. That's a lot of really good critical thinking.
1: It is. And it's, it is something to think about. I just kind of, yeah, because season three, basically it's, it's a reset, right it's it's completely different
0: yeah i like that daniel all right and let's move on to a couple of final thoughts we'll start again with matthew mevis or mavis i don't know how to say this matthew you're gonna have to tell me matthew says we've gotten the impression that vedraish is a slur against the federation we've seen what earth has become on the galactic stage Admiral Vance has been very guarded about the past and their actions, like he's in charge but he's not proud of the thing he inherited. From Navarre and SB-19, we learned that as dilithium became weaker, the UFP urged and forced more promising alternatives to continue. People have called the Federation and Starfleet deceitful, transactional, arrogant, and that they have, quote, blood on their hands. It reminded me of Quark's conversation with Nog about what happens when humans or humans start getting desperate or being deprived of their comforts. So this is why I included this comment. I really like this, Matthew. He goes on, the burn reduced the ultimate utopian civilization to a sci-fi dystopia. And I could see Federation and Starfleet officials using progressively more heavy handed manipulation to keep it all together to not disrupt the utopia they had made. Quote, good intentions, bad execution, end quote. Textbook badmoral logic. I don't think he's a badmoral, but more likely a guy having to clean up after the mess of a series of them before him. Yeah, I think that's really well expressed, Matthew, and I'm on board with that.
1: Yes, this is a very astute um, observation in and Earth and the like it seems like the whole galaxy, right, has become a dystopia. And, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't really want them to find this in the thirty second century. Of course we wanted the Federation to just be good and last forever. But you can understand that empires do fall and this happened and so we we have to see what's going to happen next. Right. A- and and about about Starfleet being described as deceitful and arrogant. I mean, yes, and it, it uh we're not sure but yeah but i do think admiral vance is, is hiding something he does seem that way
0: i agree mm-hmm.
1: yeah, but oh but also i agree he is i think he's a good guy but but it's just that he's in this position i definitely agree with that
0: yeah i do too and i definitely don't think he's a bad moral but he's used to cleaning up these messes he's that's all he's done really i mean he inherited messes so that's been his mo for his career
1: yeah, he's just trying to, to do what he can. I think, yeah, so he's trying to to put it all back together to do something good, but it, it's he's a long way from actually being there.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So we have Nicholas Paul Collinson. He says, those sea locusts are a bit like Patterson's Curse a beautiful purple flower that is actually an invasive species that chokes pasture fields i'm glad they got rid of them without having to poison them love some integrated pest management adira they are so great i love that stamets and culber are almost becoming their surrogate dads i especially loved the jam session with cello and piano they're playing the magic of the music of the universe yes the jam session was great loved that
0: <laughs> that was that was good i liked that uh anthony got to be at the piano i thought that was cool
1: yeah he's great because we know he could sing in rent and and this was just so cool playing the piano
0: mm-hmm. yeah thanks nick and i'm gonna read one more comment that's a little bit lengthy but because it's jj becker and it's very well written I'm going to read the whole thing because it's also very musical in nature, as am I. J.J. writes, The right two melodies make a duet, and a series of duets can sometimes form a symphony. That is what we have here in Sanctuary through the masterful orchestrations of, you guessed it, Maestro Jonathan Frakes. We hear a series of duets here, and they are all beautiful. Detmer and the Andorian, Book and Burnham. The unexpected pairing of Culber and Philippa provided an exciting counterpoint to some of the more obvious harmonies that were played throughout the episode. So, Stamets plays the piano! The cello and the piano are a very complementary pairing. Yes, JJ, absolutely. Both of these instruments have the ability to play all the notes in the range that can be sung by the human voice. Stamets and Adira are both characters who have a chorus of voices to contend with in their search for a greater understanding of themselves. Adira holds their cello closely, intimately. Its voice, like the human voice, can be mellow, shrill, or imposing. Adira is learning about themselves by learning to understand the chorus of voices that resides within them. The piano spreads out before Stamets, much like the universe he has become more a part of since his interaction with the mycelial network. The voice of the piano, like the human voice, can be booming and fierce, or soft and alluring. Paul is learning to listen to the chorus of voices that surrounds him, and to sometimes speak more softly himself. The music that these two play together will lead them both to be better versions of themselves.
1: Nice. Very i nice. know
0: i know so nice that was beautiful jj
1: yeah, yes i mean and so you are a musician i'm not but i mean but yeah i do love how they've how they've uh used this episode or or the whole season now with, with the uh the tune that that everyone kind of recognizes but they don't know where it's from right and um when they, when they were you know filtering out the the um the the sound that was coming from the nebula and and I kept thinking oh like Voyage Home like is it going to be whales or something but I but it was too <laughs> really yeah yeah it remind I you did that?
0: and the little shape on the of the whatever it was on the screen looked like the the whale, probe thing the... sort of or the yeah I don't know it it definitely made me think of Voyage Home there be whales here
1: <laughs> but I don't think they're going to do that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no. Oh, wow. This episode really brought a lot of critical thinking out in the listeners. So I really enjoyed reading, reading the comment threads this week. What'd you think, Kavora?
1: Oh, yes. it. We have some very intelligent listeners and everybody made, made good observations. It was, yes, it was definitely something to think about. And what did you
0: think of the episode and season three in general?
1: Well, yeah, this episode was was kind of mediocre even though it had some good stuff in it. The whole season um it, it's okay, but it, I think it's moving kind of slowly, you know, but I, but and I and I keep thinking, okay, next week is going to get better, you know. <laughs> and I'm still saying that now. <laughs> um so so yeah, but I do look forward to to finding out more about the burn and and about what's happening to Giorgio. Um and and uh, and I do like the the commenter that said about Burnham that she's more comfortable now not being yes. a um, an executive officer, the second in command. Joshua, mm-hmm. she she is more comfortable in that position, and yeah, So we'll see how she does now. She's already been you know a rebel. She's already been in prison in season one, so we know she she has that in her character. So she's is enjoying a little more freedom now, which is good for her.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Kavor, it's so nice to have you on the show again, and thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And please tell our listeners about your shows and where they can find you.
1: So I have a podcast that I do with my husband, Nayar. We have Starpod Log, which is S-T-A-R-P-O-D as in David, L-O-G, which is mostly vintage sci-fi fantasy from the 70s and 80s. And we have Starpod Trek which is all about Star Trek, all the shows, all the movies. And I also have Ladies Trek Library, which I do with Jen Foley, and we talk about Star Trek novels. And so we are all of those podcasts are on Sweet Media. We also have our YouTube channel. You can look it up under Starpod Log and Starpod Trek. And we also have our podcast on Blogspot amazon itunes and wherever you listen to podcasts
0: (laughs) well thanks again for being here it's always good to have you
1: it's great to be here thanks chris
0: you can join the open channel conversation on twitter and facebook by following us at open channel trek and by joining our listeners group on facebook by typing the nexus into the search field you can find me on instagram and twitter at cd littlefield Keep an eye out for my open channel conversation threads on Facebook and Twitter, which I will post every Thursday right before each new Star Trek episode drops. Thanks for listening to Open Channel. Channel Open, standing by. And that's a wrap.
1: All right. Yeah, that was fun, as usual. <laughs> this show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media.
0: Computer, list other available Hollow Suite media programs. Loading Hollow Suite preview program for the Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I did kind of like the idea that he had the armory to work in. That was like his main, mm-hmm. his main workspace. I guess I found that quite different, and that excited me. I think they kind of moved away from that a little bit as the show went on. Yeah, as we went on, it definitely appeared more in the first
1: season I think and maybe the second then it did the later ones
0: did you ever become attached to Malcolm as a character I wouldn't necessarily say attached but I always I enjoyed mo- most of the, the times that he was on screen and interacting with the rest of the crew for me I was I was more attached to Trip so yeah yeah I guess, I guess it makes sense that you and I are doing a podcast together <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> loading Suite preview program for there are four questions a star trek spotlight podcast that felt pretty cool. And that's when I, I really, really started connecting with Star Trek when I was actually here and on, on the level of creator as opposed to fan. So that was where I started getting it. was like, hey, I could do this. I remember writing, I sent this letter to him. I wrote to um, Eric Stillwell before I moved to, to Los Angeles and asked about the, the rules for submitting the script and all that stuff. And then I had this idea, never heard back from him loading Sweet preview program for ladies trek library women with a passion for star trek books one of the reasons i was excited to read this book was because it's called uhura's song and we don't get a lot of books where uhura is a main character um and she was my favorite character from the original series so i was excited to see a book about her
1: and i and i like how and i was thinking about the uh the broadway play cats because they kind of used cat names that that reminded me of the names in this book so and and this book was written in 85 so it could have been inspired by cats in that way computer deactivate hollow suite